0: Good afternoon. This is Dr. Dan Guerra coming to you from Authentic Biochemistry Podcast. And today is the 7th of May, 2023. I want to finish off the discussion of the uh, Plextrin homology domain protein we were discussing last time <clears throat> relative to the uh, epigenetic alteration of activity of that entire pathway regulating um, within immune cells but also in other cell lines the mechanism whereby cell cycle is controlled via p53 and then the potential fate of p53 by proteasomal degradation because of akt or akts phosphorylation cascade which can lead to um, an increase in the integrity of a cell meaning that it all the normal mechanisms that would allow it to respond to signals to induce apoptosis or even autophagy can be blocked by a very massive program of uh, protein synthesis because AKT works through the mTOR pathway. <clears throat> so translation is controlled via that mechanism. And I also thought you AKT is prodromally responsible for cell proliferation and because of that if there are mutations it could lead to tumorigenesis so let's go back to where we were exactly just two days ago i told you that i wanted to reintroduce in our discussion of this particular gene product the loss of heterozygosity mechanism so as it turns out loh is found associated with the same genetic locus the human locus where pdl phl da3 gene is located remember that's on the 1q31 and at that locus when you find a loss of heterozygosity it it can be linked to Pancreatic neuroendocrine tumors. Those are known as PAN nets. So PHLDA3 is located at that locus, 1Q31, and LOH at that gene locus is found not only in these pancreatic uh, endocrine hormone uh, cancers, tumors, but also in. Certain lung neuroendocrine tumors. So a paper that used microsatellite methods. <clears throat> this is a way for differentiating one allele from another actually, because the microsatellite could be used as a marker. using macrosatellite microsatellite mechanisms or methods, excuse me, LOH at that PHLDA3 gene locus was detected in over 70 percent of all human pancreatic, NETs. Now, what are microsatellites? To remind you, I lectured on this, oh, I want to say about six months ago, but um, I'm telling you now, new today. Microsatellites tend to be uh, DNA fragments that are one to 10 nucleotides in length, as opposed to mini satellites, which are greater than 10 nucleotides. And these are all subcategories of tandem repeats, together with a predominant interspersed repeat, sometimes uh, functioning as remnants of transposable elements, according to the sequence. This makes up what are also known as GRRs. So those are genomic repetitive regions, okay? So the tandem repeats tend to be evolutionarily conserved because they're relevant to the fact that they are nevertheless unstable. Unstable by means of mutation. They mutate at rates of 10 to the third to 10 to the sixth per cell generation. Now that, if you know how cells normally reproduce, is about 10 orders of magnitude greater than typical point mutations. So these microsatellites (coughs) have simple sequence repeats, SSRs, short tandem repeats, STRs, and simple sequence length polymorphisms. Now these are SSLPs. They're, They're widely distributed in all organisms from prokaryotes to eukaryotes. And, they're just, and also, they're distributed throughout the genome, apparently stochastically. But especially in euchromatin, in the eukaryotes, you have both coding and non-coding, nuclear and organellar microsatellite DNA. So when you talk about microsatellites as it relates to genomic studies, <clears throat> You can look at it as simply short segments of DNA. Now, typically, when you're doing genomics and you're using microsatellites, you're looking at one to six base pairs in length. Okay, you're talking about both strands, and that length of DNA, that microsatellite, can be repeated multiple times in a stochastic succession in a specific locus. So those DNA sequencing sequences that are microsatellites, as I've already mentioned, are most commonly non-coding, although they're in euchromatin. That means biologically active chromatin. Sometimes acetylated histone chromatin, right, making it open for RNA polymerase too. So the number of the repeat sequences within the microsatellite actually is a very good indicator looking at DNA sequences from individuals. In fact, that sequence varies among individuals. Therefore, in genomic studies, it's made useful as a polymorphic marker. And that particular marker is studied for inheritance patterns in families and also for creating in terms of uh, possible uh, forensic studies, DNA fingerprinting for crime scene samples. So microsatellites are commonly used there. Now, back to the detail about this. There's a variability of repeat number per locus, and that's gonna be driven by, as you might guess, increases in mutation rates. Now, when do you get these mutation rates Increasing when can you detect them? Of course, during DNA replication. Now, that can occur with a slip strand mispairing of transiently separated DNA strands during replication. Okay. Also, infrequent recombination within the repetitive elements and that microsatellite domain also contributed to further variation in the microsatellite sequence. Therefore, the mutation rates of microsatellites can be measured quite easily because you can pick up, because you're looking at very small segments and you can use PCR to be able to pull out those individual repeat sequence variations. You can study this whole microsatellite morphism as a way of getting at hypermutation rates and that hypermutation rate can then be correlated to microsatellite instability and in fact that mutability of human microsatellites has been used in disease analyses so to generalize microsatellites themselves are not functional in the way that a microRNA or a CPG island would be functional, right? In terms of regulation of gene expression. Because they're, again, their location is almost always in a non coding region. <clears throat> now, there are, though, subsets of microsatellites which are associated with inherited human diseases. And those inherited human diseases that were microsatellites are linked are neurological disorders so you've all heard of huntington's disease now that's a very common example used in lecture hall and also in uh individual studies to be able to use as a positive control because hunting disease is where there's an amplification of the number of a tetranucleotide repeat and that tetranucleotide repeat is actually in a coding region it's in the Huntington protein. And that is actually a very critical determinant for disease symptomology and progression. Okay? I'm sure most of you got that in genetics courses in medical school or in graduate school. Now, back to the PHLDA3. That was all just to explain to you about microsatellites. That was a micro lecture, okay? <laughs> so <clears throat> in this paper, to finish off PHLDA3, this group found that that gene expression level in pancreatic neuroendocrine tumor specimens from humans was decreased. And you find this decrease in specimens that have a loss of heterozygosity at that locus, comparing those that do not have an LOH. So since LOH involves the loss of just one allele, they wanted to know what was going on with the remaining allele of PHLDA3 within, within those panNET specimens, more pancreatic neuroendocrine tumor specimens from humans. And what did they find? They found that that remaining allele of PHLDA3 invariably undergoes methylation directly in its transcriptional regulatory region, in that cis-acting element. So that means that pan-nets can be characterized by what are known as a two-hit inactivation of PHLDA3, the loss of heterozygosity and methylation. So this is where the significance of epigenetics plays a role in the regulation of this gene. And remember this gene, because that's plextrin homology, can compete with the same plextrin homology domain, that PhD, that you find in AKT. And that's because that plextrin homology domain specifically binds to 4 345 trisphosphate remember after the kinase reaction, PIP2 to PIP3. And that PIP3 is going to activate normally AKT at that domain. However, when that lipid is titrated by PHLDA3, AKT activation is tuned down. And that is a potential site of diminishing certain forms of cancers particularly here we're talking about the pancreatic neuroendocrine tumor tumorogenic uh system okay so now you got the entire picture so what they're what they're saying in this paper that was published a few years ago is that the phlda3 is a novel okay so this isn't your typical p53 although remember p53 was involved here as a transcription factor to regulate the expression of this gene. (laughs) Remember how AKT was a repressor of P53. Remember that whole story from last lecture. Now I'm telling you that PHLDA3, this is the the take-home message, is a novel tumor suppressor gene. And it's a novel tumor suppressor gene that can be mutated. And we can study this by using microsatellite arrays. Uh, The reason I won't go into more detail and just simply tell you, if you use microsatellites, you're able to pick up very slight differences in each copy of a gene. And that's because even if you're looking for single nucleotide polymorphisms, those don't always uh, easily transfer when studying a whole host of tissues and a whole series of sequences of those genes. In a disease population, so microsatellites. Once you understand their uh, hypermutability, hypervariability, you can measure that as a rate, and you can use those as off-site targets to examine where one locus is altered versus another locus. Okay? That's why you use microsatellite analysis uh, in your PCR studies. okay? All right now let's go back to a general discussion here we finished now with a phd uh gene and i want to move on here because it, there's a lot of other things we have to do just just to to get at um finally the immune cells back to them and about all the epigenetic alteration of gene expression and uh, fortunately i think i have time today i've got half my lecture ready another 15 minutes to be able to get into some intermediary metabolism because I really like doing that. I mean, it's fine and good to do the biochemistry of a cell relative to nucleic acids. Some people would call that genetics, by the way. Um, but, um, you know, it, it, it's preferable to be able to integrate all of metabolic pathways because then you get the real understanding of the struggle of the cell as an event ontology, right? Okay. Now, similar to innate immune cells, the epigenetic regulation that we saw there, like remember in macrophages and neutrophils, is absolutely necessary in T-cell development, activation, and in the maintenance of the specific subtypes. Now, sequencing has been applied to this whole system to be able to determine which particular gene clusters may be modified epigenetically that play a role in T-cell biology. So they look at open chromatin regions and what they find that during chromatin retailoring in T-cell developmental sequence It occurs as an oscillating wave. And indeed, the lineage-determining transcription factor known as T-cell factor 1, that's TCF1, intimately controls T-cell identity because it has an ability to create newly open chromatin for alteration specifically in situ via epigenetic covalent modification. So if you use RNA sequencing in association with chromatin immunoprecipitation sequencing, what you determine is that there is a permissive chromatin, this macromolecular configuration, and those chromatin configurations are actually installed into the chromatin as the initial stimulation for the alteration of gene expression in T cells is just beginning to be turned on. And in fact, that same installation of the alteration of chromatin configuration can be seen long after the initial stimulation in memory t-cells now that's believed to play a role in the rapid response you get when you reactivate when you, when there is a reactivation of memory t's okay. now during t-cell activation it's been discovered that there's a demand of acid methionine. now you know that's the methyl donor for methylation reactions and epigenetics <clears throat> now as it turns out during the midst of t-cell activation you get an increase in acetalcy methionine and with that you get a concomitant increase in methylation rate of dna rna and histones so if you apply various disciplines such as metabolomics proteomics and of course my favorite biochemical tool for many years radioisotopic labeling what you can discover is that the main regulation point controlling the flux for acidenosine methionine supply in the nucleus will be the import of extracellular methionine. And you know that from the methionine pathways and the transsulfuration pathways I went through just a few, well, maybe a month ago now, okay? So it's the uptake of methionine into these cells that's really important. And because and, and that linkage between the uptake of methionine can be tightly correlated, experimentally discovered to be tightly correlated to methionine levels, in particular CD4 positive T lymphocytes. <clears throat> so there's that rapid upregulation of the methionine transporter that sustains then. The methylation activity the pronounced methylation activity which will then induce full activation of t cells now macrophages we talked about this also recently but you know in the past a high acid methionine 2 is a ratio acid homocysteine so sam over sah high ratio will promote lipopolysaccharide-stimulated production of pro-inflammatory cytokine IL-1-beta. And you know, that's all supported by histone-3-lysine-36 trimethylation. So if you inhibit S-adenosylmethionine biosynthesis or S-adenosylhomocysteine degradation what you see in the T cell population and culture is an alteration of cytokine quality, that is cytokine profile. Okay. Now similar to methylation that we just said, the acetylation of histones, and in fact, not just histones, but other proteins that are found in the nucleus. And these could be components of the transcription factor complex play a role in the immune response, and they're all also under the control of substrate availability, in this case, acetyl-CoA. So when you activate a CD4 positive T cell, you know what you get. Remember, we talked about this many times and recently. In terms of metabolism, we get an increase in aerobic glycolysis. That will actually allow for a high acetyl-CoA level maintenance. Now, the way that you get high acetyl CoA recall is w- w- one major way is via pyruvate dehydrogenase, right? Which de- the enzyme is going to make acetyl CoA at the end of the glycolytic pathway. It's going to be a mitochondrial production of acetyl CoA. But you also then make citrate in the mitochondrion because the availability of acetyl CoA will drive the condensation to oxaloacetic acid, making citrate. Now. In these cell lines that are activated because of aerobic glycolysis, the remainder of the TCA cycle, except that at the anaplerotic regions where glutamine and glutamate can introduce carbon at the level of alpha-ketoglutarate, and also introduction of carbon at the level of fumarate. Other than that, the TCA cycle isn't fully functional because of high levels of NADH. Now this is going to be regulated. because of the transportability of the reducing power of NADH from the cytoplasm to the mitochondria, which you know could be regulated by the malate-aspartate shuttle. And what else? The glycerol-3-phosphate shuttle. And we're going to talk about that in some detail in a few minutes here. Now, recall that you can take acetyl-CoA generated from pyruvate, condense it with OAA, make citrate. And then when there's high level of NADH, the... First dehydrogenase in the TCA cycle. Remember, after condensation, you get isocitrate. then isocitrate dehydrogenase, that enzyme can be inhibited by high levels of NADH, which I told you are high because of this rapid aerobic glycolytic pathway happening and transferring that reducing power into the mitochondria. So, citrate will leave the mitochondrion, and you know what happens then. This is like in de novo lipid synthesis. ATP citrate lyses will generate acetyl CoA back in the cytoplasm. That acetyl CoA then can be translocated into the nucleus and used as the acetylation agent to drive T cell activating um, and then cytokine producing activity. Okay. Now. Okay, upon activation, then, when you get an activation of CD4-positive T-cells, you get this increase in aerobic glycolysis so shut down fatty acid beta-oxidation, increase glucose uptake in these lymphocytes, just like, remember, remember, we talked about this before in tumor cells, rapidly dividing systems, prefer glucose, because you can just then re- regulate one thing, uptake of the source of carbon for, the, for, the, for bioenergetics, that's all you have to do, you get glucose into the cell. You can make a net very small level of ATP. However, you can also make the reducing equivalent ADH at the level of glycerol di3 phosphate dehydrogenase, generating that product, right? Which is a glycolytic enzyme. So you're actually making quite a bit of ATP as long as you keep on running a lot of glucose into the cell. This will promote activation, the production of pro acetic isotopes of your T lymphocyte, as well as cell division, right? That's enough energy to do all of those functions. So, If you look at the activation of CD4-positive T-cells, aerobic glycolytically maintained, you're gonna have a high level of acetyl-CoA. And again, I just explained where it comes from. That will promote directly histone acetylation. When you get histone acetylation in these activated T-cells, the first thing that be generated from a CD4-positive relatively naive t lymphocytes is gonna be the production of the cytokine interferon gamma. Now, a deletion of lactate dehydrogenase A, this has got a very curious story, actually, LDHA, will reduce aerobic glycolysis because the simplest way to understand is because you get less pyruvate synthesized from lactate. Because remember, lactate is going to be used to drive pyruvate synthesis when the cell is non gluconiogenic. gluconeogenic right? right so you so the, the pathway then will allow you can you can generate pyruvate also from lactate and become gluconeogenic but in this system the cells of gluconeogenic is glycolytic right so the entire reduction system and the level of ATP regulating PFK1 and PFK2 the whole glycolytic pathway is rigged to run carbon into the TCA cycle but we're using the TCA cycle to drive acetyl-CoA synthesis in the cytoplasm, yes, for membrane biogenesis, that is the synthesis de novo of cholesterol and fatty acids via those enzymatic pathways, but also for free acetyl-CoA to be able to be available in the nucleus for these acetylation patterns, driving epigenetic control over the high level expression of the first run of pro-inflammatory cytokines and growth factors. And lactate dehydrogenase plays a role that way and also in another way, which I'll get to later. So if you get a decrease in interferon gamma production, activated T cells, that actually can also be therapeutic, even though you might want to drive T cell activation and, for example, an active infection. Why could it be therapeutic? Well, an auto-inflammatory disease because you don't want to have reactivated T lymphocytes. And that's one of the major components of autoimmune disease, right? Highly active T lymphocytes that are not necessarily being activated by any invasion from a pathogen or any abnormality such as a tumor or overexpression of a native protein within cells. that would then drive, of course, the corruption of cell cycle and then the elimination of those cells because there's been some mutation therein. So I'm going to stop right there, because the next step in this whole discussion is going to be bringing back isocitrate dehydrogenase uh, isoforms that are functioning to control gene expression, not carbon flow. And those are going to include mitochondrial and cytoplasmic IDHs. Remember, those enzymes can also use not just nad but nadp that's going to then isolate those isoforms for specific recruitment to generate t-cell activation okay i'm gonna stop uh this is dr dang on on sunday afternoon about time for an afternoon walk i think um saying have a lovely sunday afternoon and uh bye for now